0: Welcome to the Unfiltered Podcast with me, Joe Warner, and powered by Ultimate Performance, the world's premier personal training experience that delivers maximum results in minimum time. In each episode of the Unfiltered Podcast, I interview the most respected, celebrated, and controversial experts in the fields of health, fitness, nutrition, well-being, and performance to help you find the life-changing advice you need to live smarter. Remember, you can find all of our exclusive Unfiltered documentaries, video interviews and investigations at unfilteredonline.com and the Unfiltered Extra YouTube channel. And now, on with the show. How much time, money and effort would you invest in trying to look, feel and perform years younger than the age shown on your driving licence or passport? And just how far back would you want to turn the clock on your life 10 years? 20 years? 30? And would it be enough for you to look and feel better purely on a subjective level? Or would you want to collect and analyse data that showed beyond any reasonable doubt that you were winning the war against Father Time? And what then? Would your hopes and expectations of living your best ever life thanks to first stopping and then reversing the ageing process be matched by your newfound existence of living An entirely data-driven life in which every single decision you make is now outsourced to a computer. I'm in Los Angeles to meet tech entrepreneur Brian Johnson, who's investing a significant part of his billion-dollar fortune in trying to answer a question that's captivated humanity since the dawn of time. Can we stop aging in its tracks? And if so, what does that mean for every single one of us? I told them when they were kids, I said, when I'm 80 years old, you
1: guys, you know, are I guess it'd be like late 50s. Yeah. I'm going to beat you up in front of your partners. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, we kind of had this relationship where it's like I could joke with them and they're like little boys in and wrestling with me, but that has stuck where like that thing they bring up all the time. They're like, Dad, you're not going to be able to beat us right. up when you're eight years old. Like, we're just going to. And so now
0: I consistently remind them, like, hey, do you want to play for dominance? <laughs> so it's, just, it's a fun thing we, we do. Brian, you've made the decision to outsource the decision-making process and live your life on autopilot as much as possible. Mm -hmm. You've spoken before about Evening Brian Mm -hmm. being the motivation for doing that. Can you tell me a little bit about what he was like and what he would get up to that made you come to that decision? Yeah. Uh, Evening Brian is
1: a manipulative, clever, resourceful version of me. He shows up between 5 and 10 p.m., and he has the most clever arguments on why I should do things that accelerate my aging, decay, and decline. He says things like, "Just one more day of eating these cookies, or just one additional serving for dinner, and then we'll be done." And then, or just one more chip. Uh, all these really clever things. Uh, but he leads me to do things that are not in my best interest. And so by by identifying his name, his thought processes, and his persuasions, I was able to do something I could never do before, which is actually stop behavior I didn't want to do. Whereas before I felt powerless, but just the trick of naming him and treating him differently
0: enabled me to get over this big hump of stopping these self-destructive behaviors. Why do you think we're so bad at making important daily life decisions that should be in the best interest of our health, but they're quite often not? It's counterproductive. Why do you think we are so bad at at getting these these important decisions wrong? I honestly think it's one of the most interesting questions
1: facing humanity. I think people, whatever exists in the 24th and 25th century, may look back at the early 21st century, our time right now, Mm -hmm. and say the key thing they solved, above all, they figured out how to arrest their self-destructive tendencies. They're doing that at an individual level. They're doing that to the biosphere on planet Earth, helplessly, hopelessly destroying their biosphere. And in the same way, we're at each other's throats, our self-destructive tendencies towards war and violence. And that that key change, the humans arrested self-destructive tendencies, was the thing that flipped human potential from a a scary
0: prospect Mm -hmm. to something we found majestic. So why do you think we do it? Because from an evolutionary point of view, behaviors or actions that can shorten your lifespan are no good for for the species' success. How we ended up in in this point, you're obviously optimistic about the future, but right now we're probably still in that transition phase where we've not come out of it. How have we got here and and how do we transition? I think it's always been, I think we all feel helpless. I mean, we we acknowledge it, we
1: see it, and we want to protect ourselves from fully acknowledging it. We tell ourselves pretty stories like, these things make me happy. This is why life is worth living. If I can't do these things, I don't want to live. Like we do these things to protect them, but we know they're bad. What excites me though is we have become accustomed after seeing a few decades of technology development, we know our smartphones and computers get better every single year. Version two goes to version three to version mm-hmm. four. So when we imagine what is tech going to be like in 20 years, 100% people would say better. Mm-hmm. We know it improves. When you say what are humans going to be like in 20 years, it's not clear we're going to be better. And so what if we could actually, we could put ourselves on an improvement curve where our individual and collective improvement was as predictably improvable as technology. And that's what Blueprint is, is trying to put me
0: on that same compounder improvement curve as we have with technology. With the Blueprint, it's, in either 100% on or 100% off approach that you've adopted, was there any point in your decision-making process where you tried to explore the possibility of small changes rather than complete widespread changes to every facet of your life? Each person's
1: going to be different. I know with me, if I gave my mind an inch, it would take a mile, unquestionably. If I just said, okay, mind, you can decide what to do with 100 calories a day. You can do anything you want with 100 calories,
0: unquestionably, my mind was blown. I think most people, when facing a decision like this on trying to improve some perhaps destructive behaviours, think about what they're giving up, what they're all the things that they like they'll no longer have to do. Mm-hmm. For you, was there that thought process and thinking about how your life is going to change and whether or not it was a purely liberating discovery once you've made the decision to do it or whether or not it did feel restrictive? Yeah, I
1: mean, I say to your question, most people view blueprint and they view it through a lens of loss. What they can't do, they want to assume I'm miserable. They want to assume I have no fun. They want to assume that all of life's joys are gone. It's the exact opposite. Like everything, I have never had more freedom. I've never had more fun. I've never had more joy. I've never had a more a, a more deeply satisfying sense of life than, than my entire life. And I think people subconsciously are, are reckoning making change is very hard. They've tried to make change in the past. They know how hard it is and they try to protect themselves from having to, like, if I feel happy on this thing, it just creates a bigger problem for them, which I understand. Like I've been there. like I For years, I felt helpless and trying to change myself, and I couldn't. So it's a very complicated topic.
0: Where do you think most people do go wrong? Is it there, as you say, that they're, they're trying to protect themselves? They're not able to see the bigger picture? Life is stressful. They're caught up in the moment. What's your advice to somebody who does want to maybe move away from some of the more destructive behaviors that they're, they're exhibiting on a daily basis? Uh, first, I'd say it's not your fault.
1: So if you look at modern society, just on a basic level, we ask people to go to work on a daily basis and they have to go by 10 fast food restaurants and 10 chains selling them drinks with 50 grams of sugar. Mm -hmm. They have to navigate social media addiction. They have to navigate binge watching. They have to navigate foods that are addictive, alcohol, smoking. And then everything in society celebrates those norms. Like come out for a drink. Let's go do this. And if you don't do it, you're weird and you're ostracized. Mm -hmm. So all of society points at us becoming addicted to everything. So then we ask, why do we have this problem? Like everything we're doing, and we celebrate and we protect it. So it, I don't look at individuals and say, it's your fault, Tough it up. I'm trying to say, hey, we have a big problem as a society. It is unfair we put everyone in
0: this situation and ask them to dig out. It's just too hard. Most people wanting to emulate some of the strategies you've deployed in terms of outsourcing or going on autopilot, where is a good place for someone to begin uh, that's going to give them the biggest benefit in, for, for the, the minimum amount of an initial investment? Sleep. Okay. Just get one thing right. And so go to bed
1: at the same time every night, whether you go to bed early or late, doesn't matter. Just whatever your circadian rhythm is, choose that time frame. Uh, if you can sleep in a room by, by yourself, so you're not having to coordinate with another person, mm-hmm. uh, black out your room and then be mindful of not eating too close to bed and eliminate alcohol. So just get the basics right and get sleep performance downright because the difference between hope and despair is a good night's sleep.
0: With somebody making these kind of decisions and and, and again, the focusing on, on outsourcing is something I'm really, really interested in because I think a lot of people see it as being maybe work upfront, but actually, mm-hmm. as you said, it can be very, very liberating. Mm-hmm. Once you've made that decision to to outsource or to go on to autopilot, how quickly did you begin to feel the benefits? Was it almost a light bulb moment of instantly the shackles were off and, and, and you could relax? Or was it a more gradual process as the beginning if it? The benefits began to, to compound, I guess. Yeah, I'd say the,
1: the benefits started becoming very apparent in a few days. And then at the 30-day time point, and then about the 90-day time point okay. where you really start turning. And the 90-day time point, you feel very strong in your new situation. You can model out bad behavior and you can say, I know if I do this stuff that my mind is telling me to do, I'm going to feel miserable. It's going to wreck my sleep. I'm going to lose the amazingness that I feel right now. So you really to a point where you can anticipate what that experience is going to be, and then choose to not do
0: it. And that's where I really found the change is. Uh, I could experience it without experiencing it. You're incredibly optimistic about the future and very positive about this lifestyle. But are there any downsides? Are there any drawbacks? And if so, how do you incorporate them and try to mitigate the effects as much as possible? I can't identify a single drawback. There's nothing
1: of my previous life or previous self that I regret, that I regret not having, that I've buried
0: that. There's nothing I want back. And no impact on, on relationships, pro- professional work, travel, all of these other things that are, that are obviously an essential part of life. It's had no effect on those whatsoever. Well, I, I travel less. I do
1: fewer events but i wouldn't say that i feel bad for not doing them they're changes i've adjusted to the change and i'm now to a different reality i don't i don't
0: wish i did those things i'm happy that i don't for so many people the, the mind can be their own worst enemy despite it in theory being your greatest asset What are the steps that you took initially in adjusting to a new way of life to make that process from a mental point of view as easy as possible so it wasn't draining, it wasn't fatiguing? Did you have any strategies you could share with me? It was really the psychological move.
1: uh, We oftentimes think of ourselves as a single entity. I'm Brian Johnson, and that's just who I am. But if I think about myself, I'm I'm Brian in the mirror, I'm Brian as a partner, I'm Brian at work, I'm Brian after therapy, I'm hundreds of different Brians. And by teasing the different parts of myself out, it's less personal. I can say that version of me is not really doing great things for the whole. I want to isolate this one versus we feel very protected to guard our identity and be viewed in a positive light. But I found it easier to just split myself up and these different ideas mm-hmm. and work on the individuals. And So I do with, I would do funny things like have, uh, Brian therapy. And I'd invite all the different Brian to therapy and have this conversation that it's like, hey, all Brian's got together, we all agree. Evening Brian, sorry. like you really making our life miserable, nothing personal. It's just, we all really feel miserable in life because of what you're doing. And so to me, I was helpless to try to change my behaviors. And so other strategies may work for different people. Like this is just one that worked for me and I playfully uh, try to tease it out. But this is a very hard concept. I know that when I have this conversation, and I try to get the person I'm speaking with to isolate their mind, like truly identify it, and then say, what is coming from my mind and what is coming from my body? It's almost impossible for most people to, to separate the difference. we go through it and they'll say, well, I give them the thought experiment of, Okay, so if you could have an algorithm, if you could have a blueprint pro- protocol that takes care of you, but in exchange for doing that, you're gonna feel the best you've ever felt in your entire life, but in exchange, you're gonna eat what the algorithm says, when it says, Are you going to do that deal? And some people are like, yes, please. (laughs) Like anything to relieve me from myself. Other people are like, no, I really want my autonomy to eat the cookies when I want. I want my late night drinks and blank, blank, blank. And identifying where that comes from and why
0: they choose to do that is very hard for them to tease out even though there are multiple different approaches that people could take, do you think a fundamental issue for most people is they're really bad at being honest with themselves? Exactly. They're really hard to know what the truth is. How big a problem is that? And, and how can you overcome the years, decades of that mindset? Exactly. I've been working on a way to think this through.
1: Uh, my organs now take care of me. And so if I have, there's two ways to behave. One path accelerates speed of aging and one path slows speed of aging. And we just remove who's ever behind the curtain. And we say, who's, whose fingerprints are on what? Most of the time, you can look at the fingerprints and find the mind behind the things that accelerate aging. So just look at the data of how, what biochemical processes are happening according to which behaviors. You can fingerprint it and put the mind there. I just can't, it's hard for me to see my kidney and my liver saying, let's go out and party and stay out all night. Like they're not the ones initiating these things. And so if you just try to look at the data and say, who's behind the curtain, You can tease it out that way otherwise, but you're right. Otherwise, people protect it with everything they have. And with such ferociousness,
0: they just can steal it. What do you say to people who say a life well-lived is about balance and and their life's too short not to have that donut? What what do you think they're they're trying to say to themselves or to other people when when you have that mindset? That's a pretty story. It was behind the curtain. And it all comes back to that is it's, it's again, a, a, not a fair reflection of, of, of really what's going on. It's a, a story we're telling ourselves. It doesn't matter what comes out of the mouth. It, whatever string of words you just want to put together
1: doesn't matter. Look at the data and look, does it accelerate aging or does it slow aging? And then who's behind the curtain? Because oh, we're, we're so vulnerable. Like if you say, oh, it's a balanced life and it's about, and it's like, oh, well, he's kind of right. Like, you know, I can think about all these things. It's
0: deceptive. It's just like even Brian, so clever and always has such an interesting argument. What gives you the bigger buzz? Is it the process or seeing the results? Both. I I love every second of it. With any form of experimentation, there's an inherent acceptance that things are going to go right. You're trying things you don't know. You're not going to have a 100% hit rate. How do you deal with you and your team with trying something that not only maybe doesn't have a positive effect, but might even have a negative effect? Is that a, Does that feel like a blow, or is that something you take as part of the process? Yeah, it's a victory, and we share it freely, because knowing what does not work is just as valuable as knowing what does work. Um, Mike Tyson's got the quote that you know everyone's got a plan until you get Punched in the mouth. Yeah, what happens when things go wrong? How do you get back on on the wagon as soon as possible? Especially with such a, a regimented day, every day kind of looks the same. How do you get by when things completely don't go to plan?
1: Lately, that just hasn't been the case. I mean, it's it is so steady, and the idea of making an infraction is so inconceivable. It's just not even part of the possibility
0: set. So you don't operate with a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, if you stick to the process every single time it comes out the the right way? Plan B is to make plan A work. Okay. You've spoken before about novel forms of consciousness, and I was hoping we could speak about that briefly. Firstly, what what did you mean by that?
1: If you go through a thought experiment where you say, imagine we're talking to Homo erectus, who lived a million years ago. They had an axe. The axe had not been innovated for a million years. And we say, all right, Homo erectus, let's play an imagination game. Imagine that you evolve as an intelligent form and we look forward into a million years. Mm. What do you think that species is doing? would. I mean, I wouldn't even want to hazard a guess. Right. Highly likely, they'd be like, you know, things most likely have a Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Like there's some, there's this quantum effect in the universe, mm-hmm. or there's this thing DNA that's replicating itself, or... It's just, it's uh, so far removed from a possibility of a conversation with Homo erectus. And if we sober ourselves up and we say, we're in this time and place, we have some interesting accomplishments. We should feel proud of those things. Also, we should not get ahead of ourselves. And if we say, we're now walking into an era of human where our technological progress is at a speed that by far passes anything we've ever experienced. And especially with artificial intelligence at the rate of its expanse, there's no reason why we should cap any possibility. Our imaginations should be able to be as broadly out on the horizon as any time in history and be
0: absolutely practical and reasonable. So looking into your crystal ball, what might be some of the scenarios of which this novel experience of consciousness could, could take? Do you have an idea or a hope or a dream of of what we might be might be talking about? So I like this idea
1: of uh, what if the future was the following? Nowhere to go, nothing to be, no one to become. What if the future of existence was the exact opposite of everything we imagine to be worth living. And that to me sets the boundary conditions. We assume that life is for momentum. We assume life is progress. We assume it's in one direction. But what if the future was that? And to me, that's the openness of mindset we need to have. Where We are stepping into this river of progress with artificial intelligence. We cannot control where it's going to go. And we've seen once it enters the game and it starts applying its intelligence, it changes the game in minutes it's instantaneous, and it's at a speed we've never seen before. And so to imagine, to think that we somehow have the wisdom or the power of prognostication is foolish. The, the best thing we can do is just put ourselves and make sure we're in the game and be willing to say, if the outcome is nowhere to go, nothing
0: to do nowhere to become, like we're in the game. And what are the implications, not only for the individual, but also for society and us as a species? How do we begin to even get our heads around what that future is gonna look like? Uh, a few years ago, I was in the,
1: South, I was in, uh, the Middle East with a, a Middle Eastern country, and he was telling me about his 2030 goals. This was in 2016. And I said, well, that's amazing. How would you ever plan for 2030 from 2016 from a country perspective when the world is changing at this speed? Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, cool. Let's play. Like, how would you think about it? I said, okay, let's, let's have a thought experiment. Let's imagine we have two robots. Uh, we're trying to get to the distant sand horizon. This robot, we give it a topographical map, and we say, all right, robot, go. Uh, we know in doing that path that the sands are going to shift, and that robot will be stuck in the sand in a few minutes' time. Nowhere to go. This robot will say, okay, we're just going to give you the GPS coordinates, but no map. I we going to give you the tools to move in the shifting sands. So we don't know what's going to happen. It can take any shape. We're just going to let you navigate. We as humans want to be the adaptability. We want to prioritize our ability to evolve and adapt as fast as possible, not having any idea where we're going. We're just going like in this direction roughly. And that's what Blueprint is trying to do with my body is I have attached myself to this system of improvement, not
0: knowing where it's gonna go. It's just, it's a system that improves upon itself in a compounded way. How is technology specifically AI and and, and neurotech, how are the developments there changing what your initial goal was for for what you're trying to achieve here? Is it you're constantly refining what is possible? I'm really interested to know the interplay between technology and and the breakthroughs we're seeing and your personal life. I never imagined before my current speed of aging is
1: slower than the average 10-year-old. We look at 10-year-olds and we don't think they're aging, but they actually are. We accumulate aging damage throughout our entire life. So I never imagined that at a 45-year-old chronological male, that my speed of aging would be less than a 10-year-old. Blows my mind. But that's what we've shown with two years of blueprint and other things too. But I never thought that we would be the situation in my lifetime
0: of of slowing down aging that fast and that's just bootstrapping two years effort and how quickly are those advances going to continue with the exponential increase in in the technology we're we're seeing I mean can we can you even get a a slight steer on what might be possible not only in, in 10 years time but 20 years time exactly right I love that question
1: we say how good is our tech going to be in 20 years we're excited we love our technology how good are you and I going to be in 20 years we want the same level of excitement I don't know
0: but it's going to be amazing because we've attached ourselves to this improvement curve and we're going to go along for the ride. You're incredibly positive and optimistic about this. And I'm going to ask this question, try and probe to see yeah. what are the potential pitfalls? Where are the dangers? Are you concerned by anything about this? It comes back to that primary problem of self-destructive behavior. The
1: When we commit to self-destructive behavior individually, we give license to do it to other people. So I can build a product in food or porn or name your thing Addict others to it. Make money by doing it. And then cu- the society ce- celebrates my endeavors. It all comes back to our willingness to inflict harm upon ourselves, each other, the planet Earth, and then our technology, our AI mirrors that. And that's why I put the bullseye on that is if we can shift that, that if we can sober up and see that as the cause of these other things, we could change how we approach and like, this is, I guess what I find is hopeful is I think what we've shown at blueprint is we built an algorithm that takes better care of me than I'm able. And when we show 10 awful things like that, when we show, uh, that a map, that a navigation systems are better than a map, a paper map in a lap or a calculator that are math and we can do them on, on paper and pencil, we adopt technology. I've shown the implementation of an algorithm that takes better
0: care of my, of me than I can, which means. It's inevitable for everyone. And what are your hopes for, for wider societal benefits from this? Because obviously you've got that empirical data now that shows it's working. How do you hope or, or dream that this these breakthroughs are going to have an impact on anyone from treating obesity, cardiovascular disease, degenerative brain diseases? I mean, the scope for improvement yeah. in, in healthcare must be massive. What's your hope for that? It changes uh, us as a species. Everything about being human changes. And what does your idyllic version of the future look like? Say so we are all able to optimize every single facet of our mental and physical health. What does the world look like? I'm fascinated to get your, your take on what you hope the world in which we live in the future will look like. I understand reality as
1: uh, lucky us, we exist. Let's play infinite games. So I don't remember asking to exist, putting in a ticket. I just showed up and I'm here and it's fun. And I want to keep on playing the game. And so if we can just lock in and say, you know what, like we all are exist here. Let's just keep on playing the game together. And so let's put our best efforts into stopping the things, end the game and keep on playing the game. But this is to me is like the robot in the sand, we care about adaptability. We have no idea where we're going. You you look at, for example, when AlphaGo played Lisa Dahl, right? And the 19 time world champion and changed the game of Go in one session and Observers said it was like a player from another dimension of geniusness. AI is going to come into our lives and introduce genius that is just going to be stunning. It's going to change everything for us. And so we cannot predict it. We can't foresee it. We can't model it. We can't anticipate it. We don't know. So the best thing we can do is just get ourselves prepared to go on a ride and
0: be adaptable to the circumstances. And how concerned are you with the democratization of these technologies? Because obviously a big concern is avoiding a world in which there's the haves and have nots, the people that have access to this technology and these breakthroughs and those that don't. How big a concern for you, Brian, is it that we ensure that these kind of breakthroughs are available to all? I think your question is relevant. If you
1: drop anything into today's world where basically like, we accept violence and war and self-destructive behavior and we accept that humans are martyrs for the development of technology If you drop into the world, all those questions are relevant. Like, we are a violent species. We have been forever. Like, we know what happens. If we became compassionate and uh, we saw this self-destructive capacity as a flaw in our intelligence, we may build society very differently. And so when you look at society now and you try to map out the future, it's a discouraging thought. If you say there's some fundamental changes on how we behave to each other... I think it's a very different outcome. This is why this is why Blueprint to me is, is the culmination of what I've been thinking about for a decade of what single thing could I do in life that could be beneficial in the 25th century. And it's showing a baby step that if I relinquish my mind's power, if I push it aside and empower other systems of me, in this case, my organs and biological processes, and they are in control, it produces a peaceful, positive world. And so what should we do about climate change? It's probably not pointing at the oil companies. It's probably not pointing at politicians. It's probably pointing itself and saying, how can I fix the underlying problem that's happening? We relinquish our power. We think of our minds as the best problem-solving tool we have. That's how we've always thought about it. But our minds could be the nemesis that is leading us to our demise.
0: So do you feel we're currently looking for solutions to some of the world's biggest problems in the completely wrong place? Exactly right. Okay.
1: We're all we're pointing. We focus on everything that we can see with our eyes. Meanwhile, our brain hides right behind the eyes. It's hiding in plain sight. It's a thing we protect from being viewed above all things.
0: And it could be the answer to all of our problems. And finally, how often is Evening Brian still piping up in your brain, wanting you to go and raid the ice cream or go and have the cookies? Is it, is it something you're still having those conversations with him about, or is he getting quieter and quieter by the day? He shows up and then everyone's like, ah, he's back. <laughs> we're my guy. We
1: all just know it's silly. Like, why would you do that, man? That's, that's, we're going to be awful. Our sleep's going to suffer. Tomorrow we're going to feel terrible. We're not going to be clear of mind. I can't do these fun things. It's just a joke now. Like, nobody, none of the other
0: Brian's take it seriously. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I'd love to have a little look around if that's okay. If we can we can do that, that'd be brilliant. Yeah. So Brian, tell me through what we've got here. All right. So
1: a lot of people look at Blueprint and they uh, they have a variety of reactions. A lot of people think it's weird, eccentric, like rich guy doing his thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to think of this as I'm a professional rejuvenation athlete. And so you look at LeBron James, an American basketball player, uh-huh. and you look at his diet and the way he treats his body and you'd say, that's cool because he plays basketball for a sport. And so I was trying to help people make understand what I was doing. I'm not a biohacker. I'm not a hobbyist on health and wellness. I'm a professional athlete. And so what this is, is basically, this is the secret sauce to be a professional rejuvenation athlete. And every calorie in here has had to fight for its life. Okay, <laughs> There's not a single one that's just like, hey, I'm gonna hang out because I'm cool. Every single one. So I'll walk you through it. So in the morning... Uh, let me stir this up. When I wake up, I drink this concoction. I call it the Green Giant. So what's in this one? It's uh, collagen peptides, cinnamon, creatine, chlorella powder, which has spermidine. And it. And then I take this, I take
0: 52 pills. So you're not going to take 52 pills. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, might be here a while. Yeah. Uh, And are any of these kind of bespoke formulations for you, or are these all supplements that anyone could just get from any health food store? Yeah, you can get these anywhere.
1: And so the the way this has been formulated is we measured every organ in my body, and we said, uh, how are you doing? It reports out with the data. We look at the scientific evidence, and we say, for example, if you're looking at my heart, Mm -hmm. my heart is aged uh, according to a a dozen characteristics, how it functions, what it looks like, arterial plaques, all the above. We look at the scientific evidence, and then we say the heart would be best served with the following criteria. And then we do that for the kidney and liver for my speed of aging with DNA methylation. And this has been through about six different cycles of measurement, evidence, data, measurement, evidence, data, and just again and again. And so most of this is transferable to people, to everyone else. Like most of us have
0: similar characteristics. So talk me through breakfast. Yep. We've, we've We've got the drink here and the supplements. What are the key supplements you're taking? Let me give you or you can grab a straw and try the Green Giant. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's not what I was expecting. <laughs> I was expecting there to be stronger flavors yeah. or more of an aftertaste, but it's it's not at all. Yeah. You definitely get the cinnamon. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So most people
1: go through a, a typical process where they look at this and they say, ooh, and then they taste it. They're like, ah, not mm. bad. And then a bit later, they say, I could do this and they try it for a while and they think I can't live without it. Okay. So typically a process. So I do this, take 52 pills. And you say them with the drink. Yep. Okay. And, and this and is as soon as you wake up or is there. As soon as I wake up. Okay. And then this is, I work out for an hour. This is breakfast. So this is the the green giant actually. So we can do two things. Um, we can drizzle some olive oh, oil. Oh yeah, please do. Thank you. Okay. This is just not normal extra virgin olive oil. That's right. Uh, not normal. We have, it's the best virgin olive oil in the world. With according to characteristics on like polyphenols and oleic acid, a a recent addition which you can try is this is a hundred percent pure dark chocolate. Same thing as the olive oil. Okay. Uh, highest polyphenol, lowest heavy metal
0: in the world, and it's paired with this. I'm gonna have to stop you that because you've just poured chocolate onto broccoli <laughs> and onto cauliflower, which I've never seen before yeah. in, in my life. Why are you putting them together? The the 100% dark chocolate is
1: bitter. And so it, you, it's not uh, paired well with sweetness. You can. okay, But this is a, I paired this one day just messing around and it, it was surprisingly good. Some people like it, some people love it. And they think I never would have thought of that pairing,
0: but it actually works. I like bitter, so that's, that's good for me. But I can understand how someone might find that a little bit too much. I mean, yeah. if you're looking at that from a, uh, what is a widely accepted breakfast type? That's a little bit different. Exactly. Um I, I've done some kind of body transformations before, so I'm not adverse to eating vegetables for breakfast, but it's it's always fascinated me how something that people would eat for dinner just seems so alien to them. Why would you have why would you have steak? Why would you have eggs? Why would you have broccoli and, and cauliflower as your as your main morning meal? But That's obviously right. it's about nutrients and it's about what right. your body what it needs.
1: Yep. So if you put all this together, cauliflower, broccoli, yeah, um, mataki mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Black lentils, dark chocolate, and extra virgin olive oil—it's competitive with the most nutritious, most nutritious dishes you could ever consume, right? If you look at the,
0: the nutritional value of the calories, it's about altogether. It's about five hundred calories. Okay. And then after that, this so this is immediately post post workout. And will it always be the same, or will there be variations of this meal? It's always the same. Okay. Yep. And so if you add up the the volume on a
1: monthly basis, I eat just over seventy pounds of vegetables on a monthly basis. Wow. Okay. And then moving on to... This is nutty pudding. You'll want to s- stir that up a little bit to avoid the, the dry powder. So that is uh, macadamia nuts, walnuts, flaxseed, uh, sunflower leachin, berries, and some pea protein.
0: I'm expecting some kind of chocolate yogurt flavor from, from the look with the fruit. That's actually pretty good. Sorry, I shouldn't sound so surprised that I <laughs> I didn't want to offend Great. you by being so surprised. Oh, oh, but no no offense in any response. Oh, it's really good. Yeah.
1: Mm. Most people love that. It's a it's a dessert. It's very sweet. And i will be following this after your workout. That's right. Yep. And then the final thing I eat on a daily basis is uh, a third meal, which is uh, vegetables, berries, and nuts. So it varies every day. But this altogether is two thousand calories and
0: comprises what I eat on a daily basis. You don't eat before you work out then. I'd love to talk more about your, your exercise regimen in a minute. What is the data telling you around exercising on an empty stomach? We, um, so on every question like this,
1: scientists can look at the same evidence and form different conclusions. And this is one of the things I think there's a lot of different opinions. Um, I chose this as a routine because it seemed like the evidence was inconsequential. Like it wasn't gonna have a big enough difference in my life to really swing hard one way or the other. So I do the drink and the supplements and the eat afterwards. but So for my routine, it just didn't seem something
0: to elevate as like a significant. Thing. And, and you've always, have you been previously someone who enjoyed a lot of variety in their diet? Because I'm a bit like you, I'm quite happy eating the same two, three meals a day. It just works for me. I don't have to think about it. Were you like that before? And has that had to be an adjustment or is this just always been a preferred way of you operating? No, I chased a lot of novelty
1: before in various food foods. The difficulty is the process of, of having that novelty takes a lot of effort uh, and it can be enjoyable. I find actually more enjoyment now in the same stuff. And so it's just like you said, everyone has a different approach, but I think because I'd only do 2000 calories a day, 20% less than what I would some on caloric restriction, I appreciate my food more than I ever have in my entire life. I never remember like spil- uh, feeling a uh, sense of uh, uh, like ecstatic, about pain. eating food I've never felt that now I
0: do I just love it and appreciate it at a level I never appreciated before it's interesting you say that because I think the inclination for a lot of people who might be looking at your diet would just see you have just yeah. put that as another process that needs to be done yeah. there's nothing to be derived no pleasure yeah. from it yeah. but you're saying the opposite even though it's very formulaic and you know what you're going to eat you're still deriving that satisfaction it's not just another thing that needs to be ticked another one of your hundred tasks that need to be done each day is that is that fair? Exactly fair. And it goes back to why
1: most knee-jerk reactions are exactly wrong. People perceive it to be a lack of freedom, a lack of joy, a lack of autonomy. And to me, it actually increases all those things. All right. I'm not a slave to my mind. Uh, I enjoy food more than I ever have before in my entire life. It, it is such a an exquisite experience now to be able to eat this food every day.
0: I appreciate it. And do you ever feel the the stress or the pressure? I know you don't travel as much as you did, but when you do travel, uh, lunch at a restaurant, a business meeting, a date, is it not restrictive or how would you cope in those kind of situations where you're not under complete control of everything? Uh, I've figured out how to solve it, where I'll just typically get steamed
1: vegetables and it just kind of solves it. I'll bring with me uh, some jars of extra virgin olive oil and chocolate. I'll get an avocado. So I know I can, most restaurants have some basic res- uh veggies Mm -hmm. and I can get by with that. So I've figured out how to
0: solve it. You're vegan and I know that's not necessarily um, a decision that has anything to do with that being the optimal approach. It's just right for you. Can this be done with with meat, with other types of dietary approaches? This isn't obviously important. It's nutrition, Mm -hmm. but it's not all about these exact nutrients and these quantities, right? Exactly right. Yeah, Blueprint
1: has no opinion. It just says it's a evidence-based medicine approach. Ask your body, scientific evidence, and do it again. It has no opinion whether vegan or carnivore. So yeah, I'm vegan by choice, but somebody could easily do this with meat and potentially achieve better outcomes. So it's an invitation for everyone to try everything
0: on what they can do with the process. I want to talk just quickly about social media just because there is some criticism inevitably in social media these days, right? It's impossible to, to avoid it. How, is it fatiguing when people are kind of questioning why you're eating or saying that's boring? I know you embrace it and play out to it a little bit, which I think is probably a really healthy way to do, but is it ever fatiguing having to explain to people why you're taking a particular decision, eating a particular way, doing a particular thing? When I was a kid,
1: we we ate a lot of sugar cereals. We had like Captain Crunch and um, Marshmallow Meaties, and I forget the other ones. But we, we would build forts in the house and then underneath our 4 we'd have like a, a box of cereal. And we would take these Captain Crunch Berries and we'd eat them. We'd call them power pellets. <laughs> and we'd pretend that when you ate this pellet, that somehow you just like, like Popeye or like uh, uh, He-Man, you just like became this enormously powerful person by having this power pellet. Okay, And that's what the haters feel like to me, if they feel like power pellets not only does it bring me joy, it just uh, fills me full of energy. It, I, it's hard to explain. Uh, I don't know why that's the relationship I have with it, but it really feeds me uh, in in a, in a way that um, gives me, it's a source of power that I can't find elsewhere. And so I really just, I, I was thinking today, I thought, you know what? I need to tweet out or to sit, put out like, hey, everyone, where are you at? Like <laughs> I need mean some more of it. You're quiet.
0: Like, feed me. Are you surprised that, People get so angry about it or is that just kind of a, a symptomatic of the world in which we're living today? I didn't expect it. Okay.
1: I mean, so I, I'm like, hey, I'm eating vegetables, everyone. I'm sharing my data publicly and it's all for free for you. I didn't expect that process to produce this colossal amount of hate. Like, it was not on my
0: model. You- I understand now why. But- Are you finding that there's A little bit of shift before maybe at the start when you were talking about it publicly, it was overwhelmingly negative. But as time has gone on, people are maybe getting a bit more inquisitive, a bit more interested, a bit more thinking about, hey, this might be able to benefit me. Has there been a shift in the public perception? And can tell me a little bit about that and how how that makes you feel, I guess. Yeah, mostly I think the the initial arguments were pretty
1: shallow. Like rich guy now trying to live forever and then people are like yeah rich guy Bad, <laughs> you know like, but then as time has passed and people settle down a little bit those shallow arguments just don't hold and everyone knows it you have to kind of see the argument like okay those are kind of bad arguments so people try to come up with like more stuff uh, but it's really hard to find really sound arguments mm-hmm. on why you wouldn't have practices that are healthy it's very hard you know, like some, someone asked me yesterday uh, what do you say to people who don't, want, who don't want to slow down aging I was like I don't know how to answer it I guess I'm trying to think of people who like really genuinely want to accelerate aging and death mm-hmm. um, that's more of a psychological problem for them than like a genuine criticism um, I don't know I guess like it just feels like the sh- it's very hard to
0: criticize this in a serious well-intentioned way Obviously, you track an enormous amount of data into how your body is performing. What about the the mental side of it? What about the subjectiveness of just how you're feeling? How are you incorporating that element? How are you tracking that? Because it's obviously such an important part of well-being to make sure you've got that sense of community, human connections, all those other things that we don't have a number for. Mm-hmm. How do you incorporate that element of your life in, into into blueprint and everything you're doing? Yeah, I, it's a great question. fight on my psychological well-being or the
1: value of my work product, instead of me offering you subjective data, I would just say, if you look at the history of my ideas, the quality of my work over the past uh, 20 years, I would say there's evidence that shows when I've been doing this, the quality of my output as a human is substantially better. Like the ideas are higher quality, they are more stable, they're more thorough, they have a larger potential impact. Uh, So I just think there's good evidence to show Mm -hmm. where I'm at with my brain. In terms of socially, I've never been more stable ever. Uh, I think it was always loose in terms of who I associated with and what we did and what our contract was. Like, are we drinking buddies? Are we like party buddies? Are we uh, like we both hide away and do these things together? Like, what is our contract? And now the relationship I have is we are contractually agreed. Like, we are together as friends or family or whatever acquaintances because we both want this thing. And it's just a, a positive feedback loop that makes for a more sturdy and stable relationship.
0: I guess you've done quite a lot of media recently. Is Mm -hmm. there something that all of us journalists are missing? What are we not asking you? Mm -hmm. Are we all missing the bigger picture? I'm so conscious that it's very easy to get fixated on kind of the minutiae or something. What don't you get asked that you want to get asked? What's the message you want to tell that no one's given you the opportunity to tell? I wish that we could have a
1: thought experiment to say, let's imagine people in the 25th century are sitting around having a conversation and they look back at the early 21st century, our time right now. Yeah, And they say, what did they see in that moment that was blindingly obvious that changed everything? I wish we did that. Like if we pull ourselves out of these, the hot debate moment or whatever, whoever's getting canceled or whatever, it's like, let's be thoughtful. What is it? What is the most obvious thing right in front
0: of our face? I would love that. And um, what what is that? And how optimistic are you that as a world we're going to ever be in a position to maybe just take a step back from from the day-to-day, the grind, what's going on, and be able to see the bigger picture? Yeah. Well, let's
1: identify some of the bigger ones. Like, uh, is the Earth the center of the universe? Is the sun the center of the universe? Or are we orbiting the sun as the sun hurls through an ever-expanding universe? Uh, what's the natural progression from Newtonian physics to the the relativity of space and time? Do we have a creator or is DNA replicating itself in some kind of evolutionary fashion? Is there Heisenberg-like uncertainty with the behavior of particles in the universe? These major changes in how we understand our reality, is slavery a good idea or a bad idea? Is Is it appropriate to discriminate with uh, color, skin, or gender—like these big things we've said in society—like actually no, like let's do these things. To think about them little differently. I think it's this this realization: we are self destruction machines, individually, collectively, to our planet Earth. And we're building our technology. We're building the most powerful technology we've ever had in our image. And when we see it in the mirror, we're terrified. We're not terrified of the technology. We're terrified we see ourselves. So to me, that would be it. Like
0: we really need to own the situation. We are our own problem. And you feel optimistic that uh, wiser heads are going to prevail, and we're going to have some of the conversations we need to have. I mean, I I I do feel more optimistic right now than I ever have
1: before, because of what we've proven with Blueprint. Okay, I love the inevitability argument. We go into the future, sometimes we go in willingly, like we like our technology. Or, this is amazing. Let's adopt all the technology. Most of the time, we go into the future kicking and screaming. And we hate it. We hate change. We hate new ideas. Like That's just natural part of being human. And so whether technology pulls us into itself, kicking and screaming, or whether we adopt them, it's just going to be our disposition. But if I have shown I can eliminate self-destructive behaviors in me as a human and show that I can improve who I can put myself on the improvement curve of technology, others will follow. Like it, people want to be their best. They want to look their best, feel their best. Everyone wants it. Uh, And if I can show inevitability, which I think we have, it can create this cascade effect. Where before, I think we all felt hopelessly powerless to stop ourselves from self-destruction. Like we just know it. It's us, it's our politicians, they reflect us. We're helpless. But I think this shows there's a glimmer of hope that we don't have to be, or we don't have to be arrested by technology in a straitjacket. Like we uh, we can willfully walk into
0: this game and win. Speaking of technology, would you mind just talking talk me through some of the equipment we've got here, when you use it and what it does? Yep, so I'll start over here. This uh, here is a,
1: um, it images your face in multi-spectral imaging. So okay. if you put your chin right here, your forehead there, we turn it on and it'll give you 10 markers of your face like uv damage browns reds or size and it would age your entire face and so the i do this with my kids i would tell them to wear sunscreen they'd be like, dad <laughs> and then i had them scan there and they saw the uv damage from beating the sun and they're like oh you look like a zombie it's terrifying right and so then they started wearing sunscreen because they could see the data so we use this on a regular basis to measure the, the skin health okay on, on my face and then uh, this, the one right behind it here, same thing. This is used This autofluorescence. You put your, um, your your forearm down and it gives you a cardiovascular age uh, according to your skin. Okay. So all these are measurement devices. This is a test that we're doing right now that um, it, you prick your finger and do a few uh, spots of blood. It measures your speed of aging, which we're tracking very carefully um, uh, with my speed of aging. So we have a few of these tests we're doing this week. This is a professional-grade uh, hearing system. I have damage in my left ear from shooting guns as a kid. Okay. i would hold a gun like this and be exposed with my left ear. So my left ear is age 64 in my hearing capacity.
0: So we're working on rejuvenating my hearing. And how likely is, is that? That sounds like an incredible breakthrough that could have significant repercussions for an awful lot of people around the world. Yeah. The
1: field is very new. Okay. There's not a lot of good therapy, so we're trying a few things here and there, but nothing is promising as... A few other possibilities we have for reversing aging. Okay. So we're wor- we're aware of it. We're working on it. Uh, for example, no sound in this house is ever above eighty decibels. So we, we have sound meters everywhere. My son the other day sent me a text from his class <laughs> at school and it was like ninety-five decibels in his class of so all the kids were very excitedly talking and yeah, right. way too loud. <laughs> so <laughs> I
0: loved it. Um, what, what about sight? Because obviously, sight's the big one in in terms of how you know so many people are genetically predisposed to sight issues, and it's something as we age, our sight goes. What can you tell us a little bit about the technology there and, and your hopes when it comes to sight? Uh, yeah, so we do a lot of things at eyes. So a lot of people don't do preventative things. We have
1: uh, two different eye drops we do for for eye care. I have a little device. Uh, I stimulate the side of my nerve right here that stimulates. Um, Tear to my eyes because I have dry eye as a condition. Okay. So uh, then we measure it every uh, every month. So I currently have perfect eyesight, but we're trying to get ahead of it. So we really take eyesight very seriously. We try to stay ahead of it, but it's an active engagement. Okay. Um, and what else have we got here? Uh, these machines. So this one's a, a professional grade. Ultrasound machine, people are familiar with this. I look at babies in the womb. uh-huh uh, We do this for my entire body. So we look at uh, heart, lungs, we do my muscle skeletal. So we'll look at my tendons and ligaments. We'll look at my brain, uh, prostate, and the whole body. And it's helpful because having this kind of medical grade imaging in my house, I can see the effects of my workout program. I avoided COVID for three years. So I got COVID in November. So we're able to track in real time what was happening to my body from COVID. Bad. Is really bad okay yeah so typically if you ask a friend it's like yeah i did feel very well for a couple of days then no, i came back wasn't
0: that bad what insights did you glean from from the research you were able to get and the data you were able to get that maybe is missing from most people's understanding of the disease we have long-term tracking on my lungs so, so we
1: got to see uh it had a dramatic effect it aged my lungs something like 30 years Wow. So we need to see if that's temporary, if it's going to come back. We're doing some rejuvenation therapies now.
0: Does it appear to be reversible at this stage, or is it too early to say? We'll see. We're doing our measurement uh, in a week. Okay. And we're going to see if our therapy worked. Okay. In terms of, of kind of degenerative brain diseases as well, for so long it's been that their genetic conditions... Science is suggesting there's a huge diet and lifestyle component yeah. of that. How are you tracking the kind of things that are going on in your brain? Obviously, one of our most important organs, if not the most important. Yeah. And medicine simply isn't there for some of those issues in the way that it is for other physical ailments. Ooh. What can you tell us about where you are in that space? And so, we measure the brain uh, as frequently as anything else. So, we do uh, a lot of MRI. Mm-hmm.
1: And so, the diet you eat downstairs, the devices we have here, the routine I have, the, the air filters, it's all built around whole body health. And so, we're watching the brain as closely as any other organ. So, with some of the interventions we've done, uh, there's a thing in your brain you can have called the white matter hyperintensities. They emerge in patients who have multiple sclerosis. They're just like, it's like scarring for the brain. Okay. You don't want it. Okay. So, I had them for uh, certain reasons. And since starting our protocol, I reversed that by 20 plus years. So, we are tracking the brain, the brain age marker very closely. And the entire protocol is meant to support
0: brain uh, healthy brain aging in what ways. What are your hopes for some of the insights you're going to glean from your research in terms of identifying those degenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's or Parkinson's? Because so much can't be done until it's almost far too late. Are you hoping there's going to be a huge crossover benefit to to the field of medical science as a whole by what you're doing here? Yeah, I think the value is uh, Blueprint is a
1: scientist's dream because you get all this data. You get in a closed loop system where you're feeding back and getting that feedback loop. And right now, it's very hard to make systematic progress. Doing these things are very hard. To so set up clinical trials and then it's very expensive. So if this were just a normal routine thing and more people had the access to measurement and to and wanted to do it willfully, there's an opportunity for a lot more data, a lot more intuition building, and a lot more evidence to, to emerge. But just this whole idea, measurement. So most people focus on intervention. Hmm. They, they want to take pills or do this or that. Few people measure But measurement is Equally if not more valuable Because then you see What works and doesn't work So Our blueprint uh, Is an invitation To measure Everything uh, Because that's the key To improvement
0: So you're coming in here Every day Or are there certain treatments You're doing bi-weekly How often does does it work? Yeah this is uh, The facial measurement Is every
1: two to four weeks Depending upon the protocol This is every quarter This is every quarter Uh, These two lasers We use for the body Whole body skin treatment We use these uh, weekly Okay this is uh Yeah, what's, what's this one here? We've not yeah. even covered this one yet. Ah, yeah, this is uh, the bed where it all happens. This one <laughs> is high-frequency high, uh, high frequency electromagnetic stimulation. Okay. And we got this device. We bought it because... Um, well, I guess two reasons. One is um, it flexes muscles at in uh, an efficiency that you can't do via exercise. So, okay. for example, if you put this device... On your midsection, it's the equivalent of 20,000 sit-ups in 30 minutes. And so it allows you to achieve uh, strength and stability in your body. You just couldn't otherwise do. And then the other thing is we were trying to improve my sleep quality. And one thing I was trying to fix is I was getting up at night to go to the bathroom one time per night, which is normal. but Getting up and going to the bathroom caused a disturbance in my sleep, where I wanted to just go to sleep and then wake up in the morning without waking up at all. And so we started using this device for uh, improving pelvic floor strength and bladder strength. Because as you age, your bladder gets less strong, which means you control your bladder less. And so it forces you to get up at night and go to the bathroom. And so I started doing this, uh, and it did improve. And so I now my sleep is at record highs. Okay. I'm getting up fewer times a night. Then it had a, a humorous uh, off effect, where <laughs> I think I know where this is yeah. Yeah. It, it, it Im- increased my nighttime erections, both in strength and duration. And so I mentioned this to uh, Vance when he was writing the article. I didn't realize that we were speaking about the article. <laughs> he had asked, like, someone had a channel through him, like, hey, what do I do about my, my penis? I
0: was like, actually, <laughs> we just found this really funny thing. And so, yeah, so it's been a, a kind of a funny. Unexpected side effect. Yeah. We've not really spoken about exercise at all, but you, you do work out every morning. What, could you tell me what a, what a typical training session looks like and how long you train and, and what you're focusing on? I try to flex and stretch every muscle
1: muscle in my body. And that'll be every day? Every day. Okay. Yeah, I just feel like it, it readies me for the day. My whole body feels limber. Everything just feels great. I have zero aches and pains. And so it just, it's really like a daily vitamin. It just helps me feel the best about life. So I can show you the gym if you want. That'd be fantastic. Thank you. Oh, then this is, I'll show you the one last guy. This is uh, LED therapy. So I just don't look directly into the reds, but okay. it's, um, on the periphery is fine. I do this three times a week, whole body front and back. We have a new panel coming in in a month. So I'll do full body just with the one panel. That's right. Okay. Wow. But there's a lot of benefits on. What, what are the top line benefits of, of this machine? Uh, There's thousands of papers showing increased healing, improved healing, uh, better energy. It's just overall healthy for
0: the body. Okay. Yeah. And how long do you spend underneath that three times a week? 12 minutes. 12 minutes. Yeah, it's red. I knew it'd be a very precise (laughs) amount of time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'll just wait to react. Red and near uh, light. Okay. Near Fred. With with every day being very much the same. For some people that that's a dream. For others it could become mm. quite formulaic, quite boring. Yeah. How does it work for you? And and also, you know, where's that where's the your appetite for spontaneity and for doing things that maybe are on the fly that you hadn't planned for? How does that all, all fit in? If yeah. We were, yeah, this way. This way, sorry. Uh, so the
1: There's uh, certain hours where it's predictable. I, my exercise is predictable, my food is. But then outside of that, I have, you know, like 10 hours a day, which are unpredictable of what I get to experience in my mind mm-hmm. or in my work. Okay. And that's what I value the very, very most is uh, what I can do with my mind. Okay. Above all.
0: Oh, Wow. Oh nice setup. Yeah, this is this is one of my favorite forests. <laughs> I was gonna say the conscious decoration. So you come in and it's this is much more of a of a Zen workout, right? Than than the maybe a pumping iron approach. The equipment would give that kind of muscle approach, but it's obviously a very different workout experience. Exactly right.
1: Yep. So I'm not training to be a, a professional bodybuilder. I'm not training for a marathon. I'm training to slow my speed of aging, and I love being in a forest environment. And then I just do this circuit throughout the entire gym. Can you
0: very quickly talk us through where, where do you begin? Is it the same kind of workout every day? Every day. Where do you where do you begin and where do you go? I'm sure. The first thing I do every morning is uh, learning
1: good posture. Okay, is one of the most important things. So I learned this from a world specialist. Where elbows back, neck extended, and then. Shoulders forward, trying to keep the elbows back. And these exercise,
0: the the hard to get out muscles that enable- Is um, it kind of correcting the the postures you're in most of the day, right? It's trying to balance back what you know, hunched over a desk, driving in a car. It's the the opposite of those kind of movements. Exactly. And if you look at the majority of posture in modern society, it's just
1: norm to be slouched. Versus imagine you have a string that just pulls you straight up and maintaining that when you do that, it opens up the flow of blood. So it opens up your brain. Okay. Keeps your spinal cord. So it just has so many health benefits
0: of maintaining this posture. I've been in gyms a lot of times over the course of my career. I've never seen that exercise before. Have you got any others you can show me that I might not have seen and talk, talk me through? Yeah. what you're doing and why it works. That's I mean, some way. I mean some things. For example, like uh,
1: flexibility is. Pro- I value flexibility more than I think anything else. Okay. Think that, than being a powerlifter. So, be the, like I'm not warmed up right now, but yeah. sure, drop in to something like this. Wow. Okay. With no warm up but just having that flexibility
0: um, on demand makes my body feel great a lot of people i think especially men as well use their workout time as a proper way to decompress yeah de- stress burn off some angst and some an- anger is that ever the case for you or is it a completely different purpose to to exercise i mean every day i, I come to the gym thinking
1: about like what does the future of humanity look like <laughs> 24th century like i'm i'm there what's happening And just doing these fluid movements, I play some music and just being in the forest, it just allows me to play in this space of like, what does it feel like to be exist there? What is my, what are my emotions? How do I feel about others? What do I do with my time?
0: Just try to really move about in my mind in unstructured ways. So you're moving the mind and the body at the same time, hopefully in harmony. I take it there's no music blaring or anything else to get you pumped up. It's very much a, a tranquil experience rather than an amped up one, right? That's right. Do you ever do any kind of activity where you do maybe... Take the take the handbrake off. <laughs> when my sons
1: come in here, they put on their music, and that's when it gets amped. Okay, but they want to lift the big weights
0: and yell and scream. I it's ma- fun. Really. I imagine still being a little bit younger, they like they maybe be chasing the body aesthetic more yeah. than the, the longevity benefits, right? Yeah, and how I mean, much weight they can do. Yeah. Okay, amazing. What a lovely setup. Fantastic. Thank you so much for showing us around. Yep. And thank you for not making me do that flexibility test because I mean I'm not sure I've got quite quite as close as you did. Thank you. Yep.